comes in, you know it is time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Woo! Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneak, using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you're sitting by the Yule log. Maybe you're uh, you're warming your cockles. People have cockles still. I don't know. Maybe your your uh, Jack Frost is nipping at your nose. Whatever the case, we're gonna be with you in your ear holes for ninety plus minutes of gaming goodness. Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash dlcpod. They bring the show to you. Their support, their generosity means you get to hear DLC. It's all because of them, and in exchange, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and bonus content. So much bonus content. Just this last week, they got our long-awaited Spider-Man 2 uh, spoiler chat. Uh, that, went to, that went to patrons first. They got our hot take snap judgment of the GTA 6 trailer. Patrons get it first. Also, you've got extra shows, including Feeling This, the show about the feelings behind video games, Two seasons of that on demand waiting for you if you become a patron. And the Wednesday paid DLC program where we interact with our patrons. Uh, we talk we talk to them about what they want to talk about. It's all good fun. And you can get all that stuff and more at patreon.com slash DLC pod. But this show, the main show, DLC, it's the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's in our last regular show of the year with me, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. This is it. And it's, uh, spoiler alert, I have the show notes. It's a banger. Sometimes we kind of limp in. To these like yeah it's still fun it's always fun into the year is always fun but i'm really looking forward to those last two ep- you know favorites predictions this year it's just been non-stop fire hose of releases news awesome guests unlike that one year you know that one year oh, we had, i remember like, that year Oof, yeah no i won't say which it. year but yeah yeah we're no. squeezing in some huge <laughs> releases right under the wire here we got big news stories we got uh, the final chance to listen to a bumper or two. <laughs> oh, come on. No. Yeah, it's happening. And, and part of the reason you're saying we're, we got a great show is because we have a phenomenal guest. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm excited because DLC stands for Day of Life Celebration. Because not only is our guest the vice president of creative at at Skydance Interactive and writer and creator of the comic Heart Attack that Christian and I have both praised numerous times on this show, but also it is his birthday today as we record this. Ladies and gentlemen, our guest Sean Kittleson is back with us. Hey, Sean. Hey, gang. Happy birthday. Thank you for holding up the book. I should have held up the book, but... And thank you that 
I, Jeff, your your uh, DLC uh, acronym is something I look forward to every week. And uh, day of life celebration, hell yeah! That's, that's, just, <laughs> that's just how I'm going to refer to my birthday today for the rest of the day. <laughs> just <laughs> awesome of you to hang out with us on your birthday. Uh, I know um, you know you, you probably got lots of fun things to do. I hope you have a wonderful day planned. But this is a highlight for us, so we appreciate you being here. Oh, I, what better way to kick it off than with the DLC theme music and just get my energy up. Talk about games. Like, I'm going to be it. flying through the rest of this day. Well, uh, listeners should be aware that we are recording a little early this week because of holiday travels and schedules and stuff. So uh, if you hear some big news that happens over the weekend and we don't talk about it, that would be why. Um, but we're excited to get right into it because we have there's a ton of stuff to talk about. So let's start the show the way we always do. With story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the worlds of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also send comments, questions, anything you'd like us to know. That's the email address. We love hearing from you. Also, ladies and gentlemen, we have a Discord that is thriving, has awesome folks. It's a place to hang out and talk about whatever you like. The Discord is 5 by 5 DLC. We urge you to take part in the community. It's a fun place. But Sean, you are our guest, and you have first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Well, I mean, there's an awful lot of stories this week. Indeed. Like, like I said, it's it's been a banger of a year, uh, and the news doesn't stop. So... I think I'm kind of, I'm kind of caught, but I, I actually think the, the Epic winning uh, their lawsuit over Google is pretty, pretty massive uh, considering that Epic lawsuits were a, a big story of the year in general. Uh, and uh, you know, the, there was uh, they've mostly lost uh, in their case against Apple, but now have uh, prevailed uh, by jury decision in their case against Google. Um, and we still don't know what the, the repercussions of all that are, are going to be like, it won't be till January till we find out, uh, you know, what, what the judge is going to decide that means. Um, but, but a pretty, a pretty mammoth, you know, case and something that's going to carry into 2024 as they're now, I think, appealing, uh, the Apple suit to the Supreme court. So, yeah, yeah, th- you're right. This is huge. You know, mobile is a, a, just a, huge part of the games industry and every single company is like mobile's the future mobile's the future and in this case between google and apple the jury agree or excuse me between um uh, between epic and apple uh epic, and, me, google. epic and google my goodness i'm just it's really hard up. to keep track because there's so many suits and so, so many, many cases indeed <laughs> pardon me but the the key uh the key fact here is that Epic, the, the jury agreed with Epic on every question it was asked to consider. Yeah. And this it is seems pretty to be that Epic, uh, you know, came off as more, uh, more trustworthy uh, to the jury. There, there's, there's some, some indications that uh, the, the jury did not buy uh, everything that Google was selling. Um, in particular, the fact that uh, several Google staffers had deleted 
chats and and text messages that they were you know, legally obligated not to delete uh and had to say things in court like i guess we'll never know the answer <laughs> to, to that question yeah, wow uh, um which i've been uh, using that... on this show for years by the yeah, way just yeah. like, right. I guess we'll never know. did i get that prediction right or wrong i deleted the, i guess we'll never know the answer until dlcreckoning.com was created i, I lived in the i guess we'll never know <laughs> yeah yeah so and i guess if you if you don't want to look like you're engaged in anti-competitive practices maybe don't create like an internal product Project, call it Project Hug and make it all about how you are going to grift uh, <laughs> and hug. To individual companies that you want to give favorable treatment so that they ignore your competition. Like there's there's a whole lot uh, to unpack there. And I think, you know, one thing that, that seems to stand out to me is just that Apple uh, was much more buttoned up about their business mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, fair is fair and you might not agree with their rules but boy they level set them across across the board and and google though uh, decided to pick and choose who would follow those rules and and that i think played a major factor in in earning the disdain of the jury and and ultimately deciding that verdict yeah so just to uh refresh everybody's memory on on the central issue here uh epic has fortnite on ios and google uh, devices and wants to be able to sell you Fortnite microtransactions without giving the platform holders their 30% cut. They have their own store inside of Fortnite. You want uh, to, you know, everything you, you buy on the app stores, you give Apple or Google a cut of. Epic's like, well, we have our own little store inside Fortnite. We don't want to give you a cut. This is our store. It's not, you're no longer in your store. You're in our store. You downloaded our app. We gave you, you know, it was free, but we would give you a, a cut of that. Epic we... also has their own literal store. Yeah, um, right. Which they often forget about too, but. <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's the, I think, you know, the, the way that Epic's presenting it is like, hey, when you buy something on Amazon via your web browser or even via the Amazon app, like Apple isn't taking a cut right. of, you know, that, that t-shirt you ordered, that right. you know, console you ordered off Amazon. Just because um, you did it on your phone, they don't get money. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know, there, there's, there's a pretty strong argument to be made that Apple and Google's, uh, you know, platform fees are, are uh, unnecessarily or excessively extractive mm-hmm. uh, in terms of value that they, they are realizing billions of dollars in value um, that could be going back into the the hands of the people who are making the products that make their platforms thrive. Yeah. Um, so it's but, a, I mean, it's a sticky wicket, but I, I do think it's wow. a sticky wicket. I think there is a, a, a double edge to this sword in that this kind of thing, I think, incentivizes uh, game developers to backload all of the revenue stream into the microtransaction model, right? Not that that we haven't already seen that. (laughs) Obviously that's, you know, already happening, but even more so in that if I sell you my app for whatever amount of money, I'm giving 30% of it away right off the top. But if I give you my app for free and then sell you things in the app, I don't necessarily have to do that anymore. So that's a little worrisome for me in that it all we already are seeing that kind of unpleasant 
uh, economy in in the context of mobile apps and to see that incentivized even more i don't know are you worried about that at all sean um no i mean i think i think what i'm worried what i'm more worried about would be any one company gaining too much power and leverage like like and i think you know we've seen so much mass consolidation across the industry this year and, and that's one of the reasons you know when people layoffs have been a huge story this year yeah um Continue you guys to be. marked on it you know how many shows it feels like yeah. every single show you've been like and this company and, we, and there were layoffs this week at, at yeah. places like hasbro and stuff yeah. where we could we could point to wizards of the coast um, yeah embracer like yeah like there, there's been a bunch um and i think that that that's a consequence in many ways of this consolidation because you have these companies that grow very very large eat up a bunch of smaller companies find themselves over leveraged or that they they can't actually realize profits at, at that scale um and then cut a bunch of jobs um and and that's not great for the industry overall but it's also not great for the industry if there's too much control in the hands of of any one person the problem though is like it's hard to see epic versus google or or apple as as a david versus goliath (laughs) it's kind of a it's it's goliath versus goliath (laughs) yeah it's it's i mean it's a battle of titans yeah Uh, and you know and 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 epic themselves you know makes a great deal of money uh uh, through engine fees and, and royalties, you know, on on uh, on games that that they license their engine to, and that's a different model. Um, they certainly weren't looking at the like Unity. That Unity is now aborted right. <laughs> pay per download uh, strategy, but uh, across the board, I think it's it's better to have a a, a legal playing field where financially. Uh, companies are incentivized to make money off the products that they create uh, and not necessarily off the products that are platformed uh, by them. I think there's, there's, there's a precedent to be, to be set there, especially if we want to have this kind of open flourishing metaverse in the future um, of, of many games. Uh, It's, that's all going to be much harder and more restricted um, to realize if if you have just one giant that's always taking a cut and then if yeah. you have a few giants right if you have an, an engine license fee and then you have a platform fee of 30 percent uh and then you have all your other overhead you start looking at you're like how much revenue am yeah. i actually going to get making games and that's right. the dangerous part because there's a tipping point where making games just becomes unprofitable even if they're even if they'll sell you'll only get 15 percent say of of that net revenue and that's that's there's a danger there that's an excellent point and i think one that people don't really think about too often is like oh my gosh games are 70 dollars. it's like well you know at a certain point (laughs) there's going to be just a tiny fraction of that pie left over for the people to actually make them people Uh, people don't i think realize often this is where I sound like the executive suit, <laughs> um, but like but people don't realize the financial implications of, of like, or the economics of the games industry. A lot of times, like, yeah, you know, I remember uh, growing up in the nineties, it was like, they're making movies that cost a hundred million dollars, <laughs> yeah. but they're going to gross $150 million. And like, that was a big deal. And now we've gotten to the point where they're making movies that cost $250 million and gross a billion dollars. Um, and games have followed suit. Like games, games cost to make a AAA game is a massive investment now. Yeah. Um, 
you are looking at movie sized budgets. It used to be like, oh, games, the cute little like brother that doesn't really get as much attention as big brother movies. It's like, no, like games cost, it costs as much to make a triple A game as it does to make a blockbuster movie. Uh, it costs as much to market it. And you, you're expected to make these incredible sales, millions and millions of copies. Yeah. Um, that's why game prices are going up. Um, it's really high risk stuff, which is why, you know, I, I love that we have indie games, but we've also seen that it's getting tougher for indies to compete um, against these giant tent poles, right? Yeah. Like we have more games selling than ever, uh, but fewer titles <laughs> selling those <laughs> selling those more games. Yeah. Like there's ten games that sell, and then a thousand games that fail. So these little it's not little, but these, these uh, platform fees and the things like that we see on Epic and Google, they make it harder and harder to compete with those big giants. Because if you can't make tens of millions of dollars in sales, how are you ever going to get back your investment in, in your game? Uh, how are you going to keep paying your team, feeding your team? Yeah. So the hope here is that as the two Titans duke it out, uh, the, the trickle down effect will actually help uh, smaller developers be able to retain more of their profits, which I think we can all hope is the result of this. I think so. I think, I think the hope is that then that, that Epic doesn't turn around and say we won and now we will show you our true face. (laughs) Oh no. What what did we do? Um, But, but I do hope that, that it leads to a more competitive uh, atmosphere and it makes mobile just a a better, more viable platform. Like, that's why, again, you don't see a lot of premium mobile titles for for this reason. Right. Um, so maybe things will change. Christian, you are a, a current licensed attorney whose advice and insights can be followed by everyone listening without the need for disclaimer. What is your take on this legal idea, <laughs> this legal story? I do think it's a huge story. I want to plant a flag in it for later. Uh, because I think the implications haven't been felt yet. Uh, I think this probably will be appealed. I think the Apple thing, as Sean mentioned, is going to continue to move its way up. And how are those two different? How are they the same legally, not in terms of corporate structure, but what the law used to like to do is have a precedent that could be applied to a similar set of facts, regardless of the companies involved. And then companies would argue why their facts are different than this other established precedent but i think is interesting here uh, the couple of the flags that i'd want to plant are one i don't think our judiciary and this is not a knock on any judge just how slowly this stuff moves versus how fast tech moves i don't think our judiciary is fully equipped to handle the repercussions for these kinds of cases much like i don't think they are for ai and digital ip ownership and a lot of the other stuff that we've seen. Literally kind of, any technology issue often, in the world. Yeah. <laughs> often, yes. Often, yes. Yeah. And, you know, you look back at case precedent, but there isn't a lot of it for these specific details. And then so I'm speaking generally here, but do you go back and look at some case that decided whether or not it was okay for Walmart to charge Mattel some stocking fee to sell Mattel store toys at Walmart store, like Walmart's getting a cut of those sales. Again, I'm making up that case, but like what kind of precedent, what kind of uh, legal analysis do you look at? And then I think it's interesting here for Epic because if I make a game and sell it on the Epic game store, Epic's taking a cut. Uh, I know they do have their 
they waive it if you make it exclusive for six months or whatever it is. So it really feels like a lot of folks are trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I'm very curious how this gets sussed out. And to the Amazon point that Sean brought up, which I think is an excellent one for Epic's lawsuit. Do you know who does have to pay Amazon though? The person selling that shirt on Amazon, (laughs) on Amazon. And, you know, where does this lead to, would it be great to have steam on my Xbox console? Probably, but you know, does that whole console ecosystem get broken down? Do we end up in a place where kind of meta products are in the EU right now, where I can pay to have an ad free meta experience uh, in the EU, or I can opt in? Can I pay extra to get an Apple phone that isn't loaded with bloatware? or third-party stores. I'm fascinated where this leads, and I don't think that we're prepared. <laughs> yeah, no. So that's why I want to plant the flag for later and hopefully revisit it and be like, Christian was wrong. We had nothing to be worried about. Look at this utopia we live in now. <laughs> but I'm not sure we'll get there. <laughs> you know, I, I, love the, I love the Amazon comparison because, you know, I've been buying a lot of holiday gifts uh, lately, and I almost exclusively do it on the app on my phone, the Amazon app, are those microtransactions? You know, like I downloaded an app from the app store. It's called Amazon. And I bought a whole bunch of stuff on that app. It's like, it's not that different. You know, did you use Apple pay? Uh, uh, yeah, that, I did use Apple yeah. pay. Yeah. <laughs> then, then you did. Then, then you I did, did pay. It. Yeah. Man, that's wild. Uh, all right. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? So the last of us online has been officially canceled. This was announced first. Well, there was the idea of a multiplayer mode back when Last of Us 2 was way back in production. Last of Us Part 1 had factions, which was beloved. And then it grew. It became bigger. It became something bigger than a multiplayer mode. And I think it was announced as its own standalone thing or had its real coming out party at, I think it was a Game Awards or either a Summer Games Fest. It was with Keeley on stage and had some key art. Yeah. Druckmann walked out on stage and said, this is so big. It has to be its own game. It's going to be, you know, it's going to progress the story of the world. It's going to be its own big, huge thing. It's This is a standalone product size release. And yeah, like you said, with story elements. And then we started hearing rumors about Sony going all in on games as service. And they wanted that from all of their studios. And then as time went on, that got rolled back. And we started hearing about, never mind, <laughs> we're not going to do that anymore. And I think they talked, they, you know, we've seen layoffs and closures and changes and that includes stuff at Bungie and other Sony studios. And now it seems like this is a continuation of that hammer nailing down nails into the coffin of this potential shift or refocus at Sony. And the last of us online is now no longer happening officially done, but in the statement, Naughty Dog mentions that they do have, to single player experiences that they're working on and they can't wait to share more and this bums me out i mean we're going to talk about a game later that i'm really digging uh right now that i think kind of teases some elements of what this could have been but i i was intrigued by the idea of a studio like naughty dog doing a live service game and delivering story that way destiny has done it certainly and delivered story but I don't think the story that they have delivered via the live service por- portion versus the big update has necessarily been great. And I was really curious to see if someone could do it. And it seems like maybe to do it, it would have been very expensive. Well, it, I mean, the, it seems like they're 
the, the appearance here is that they're being pretty candid in their statement. Um, this is part of the statement quote in ramping up to full production, the massive scope of our ambition became clear to release and support the last of us online. We'd have to put all our studio resources behind supporting post launch content for years to come severely impacting development on future single player games. So we had two paths in front of us become a solely live service game studio or continue to focus on single player narrative games that have defined naughty dogs heritage. I thought that was pretty transparent uh, about what their their thought process was. Who knows if it's actually honest, but it appears well, to be. Tra- well, yeah, you may have insights, Sean. I think. Well, I, I think. I think the appearance of transparency is what is what sticks out to me because it's like you do not just wake up one day and be like, you know what? <laughs> it's going to be a lot more expensive than we thought. We're going to have to put the whole studio behind it. Oh my God. You know, this might take like 400 people and it's going to be an, do you know that live service means it doesn't stop? And we have to keep going. Yeah. And oh my gosh, we would need the whole team on that for like ever. Like you don't, I finally so, read Larry's emails about how he needs to hire more people to do this. And yeah, uh, there, there's, there's a bit of a, a disingenuousness in that regard to me. Um, what, what that sounds like to me, and I don't have any, like, I, I this is not industry tea that I'm spilling, but, but purely speculation, but there is, this is a, this is a cover your butt for someone uh, very high up at Sony or Naughty Dog who um, made a decision and a mandate for this product to happen, uh, probably against the better judgment or advice of, of some other folks who were like, Naughty Dog is a single player studio that they make this type of game. Maybe they could do a roguelike mode. Uh, that was before Sony caught the roguelike bug and, and every game would have a roguelike mode. But, but I do think this smells a bit like there was, there was some, there was somewhere along the line, there was a decision maker who made the decision that this needed to happen, forced it through the pipeline, uh, spent who knows how much money, <laughs> yeah. and then reached a point where everyone was like, guys, we spent this much money. It's going to cost this much more. How, how much brighter do you want to burn before, before we call this thing? Uh, and, and it in the end would have been a purely financial decision. But but nobody, I, that's where I call it BS. Nobody woke up this year <laughs> at any point and said like, "Oh my goodness, we just <laughs> didn't know." Because uh, look, they're they're not a bunch of amateurs at, at Sony and Naughty Dog. Like these are these are people who've been through it. These are people right. who've who've been around the industry. We all know what it costs. Most, I mean, I'm not interested in developing a live service multiplayer game like like with my team like if 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 someone pitched that to us the first thing that we would talk about is like that would be so expensive we would have to commit the whole team we would shift all operations in the studio away from doing triple a vr like walking dead saints and sinners uh all in on on uh multiplayer game as service so um, yes, the appearance of transparency. Yes, it is absolutely true what they are saying that that it would have cost a lot of money. It would have taken up the whole studio's resources. But uh, but you know, there's someone that just doesn't want to own that decision publicly. I think that's very savvy insight, and and I appreciate it. I I I have to say, from my perspective, and Christian, you I'm sure will disagree, but I ha- think this is. I don't feel the loss here. I don't 
there's nothing about the last of us universe that makes me go, Oh, you know, it would be great is if me and all my friends got to run around and smack clickers. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel like the game universe that I'm hoping to spend more time in, in a multiplayer setting where it, well, I got bad news for you. Cause we're going there in the real universe, Jeff. So I hope you really want to spend yeah. some time there yeah. as more of this fungal. St- I'm just yeah. Well, I just don't think it just felt like a square peg round hole thing. And I know you're, you're bringing up the fact that the first last of us had a multiplayer mode. I didn't spend much time with it. It, it just doesn't feel to me. I mean, I get that the IP is strong and that people love the universe, but I'm, I applaud this decision. Like, I, I just don't think this was a product that anybody was clamoring for. Uh, maybe you can are the one, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe I, you disagree. Well, I, I mean, I think first to Sean's point, I, I largely agree. I, I, again, no, no tea, just industry coffee. Why does no one spill industry coffee? <laughs> um, no, 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 no tea or no coffee on this. I, I do wonder if some of this was, hey, we need to hire this whole other team to do this. And at some point head of Sony, which recently has changed uh, and directives have changed was like, yeah, 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 no problem. This is where we're going. And then that stuff changes. And they were like, no, we can't, you can't make this hire of 8 million people, you know, or whatever it takes to run one of these games. And they were like, but you still want, we still want you to make it. And then they looked around and there were, we can't hire anyone else. It's going to be, it's going to be the a whole studio to make this. And they were like, yeah, yeah well what are you gonna do and so it's kind of this you know chicken your head count is capped at 500 this year but we need a thousand people to make this game (laughs) you're not making that game anymore (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. somehow that was a real quick email exchange right that's what i mean maybe that email did come yesterday morning you know like before the holidays dear naughty dog we look forward to a successful 2024 p.s your head count is locked at 500 (laughs) sincerely sony again i don't know um, to your point, Jeff, I do think there's an interesting big live service game in that universe. I think, you know, WLF and and the factions, factions that they've set up in the world make a compelling world to spend time in. And and things like Rust and Tarkov and which are more of an extraction shooter, but this idea of going into dangerous places with a team to get scarce resources, I think is an interesting one. But ultimately, for me, if the studio was passionate about it, I was excited for it. It's kind of like no one – oh, God of War doesn't need to be a sad dad third-person camera game. It was incredible because that's what that wanted to – or like I'm not interested in Cocoon, a world-based – camera you know, game? Is that what you said? Is that what you – you just invented Third-person action camera game? <laughs> I maybe skipped a word. But like Cocoon <laughs> isn't Limbo uh or inside right. you know but if the if these creators are making the thing that they're passionate about and want to evolve or make a new style of game i'm generally in favor of that i think that's going to work out well and be fun and we've seen it numerous times with resident evil you know what that franchise is or was and now will be so i'm bummed i'm bummed that we're not going to see it but hopefully what we do see from them is now something that they are passionate about and something that they can make to their standards and their quality that's my hope yeah. Although I will say, I mean, that Resident Evil uh, multiplayer game. No one talks about those or five <laughs> and six, Sean. Like, come on. Resident yeah. Evil's only hits if we don't mention the 20 that weren't. Okay? Well, that's <laughs> and that's where, you know, I think, you know, I remember back when I worked at DC and 
there was a there was a corporate mandate like must put a multiplayer mode into Arkham, and you know that ha- that wasn't direct there wasn't developed by Rocksteady, right? There was yeah. there was a separate team that developed that because Rocksteady makes a certain kind of game and and something that a multiplayer I think, live service game featuring right? now the cast of the Suicide Squad <laughs> now, yeah. Um, <laughs> Boy, boy, there's there's got to be some some uh, buyer's remorse on that one, uh, but but the you know that wasn't a mode that that made sense for that game at that time, and it was shoehorned in, and yeah. no one played it, uh, and I think it was it was a monumental waste of money uh, to put to put multiplayer in Arkham, and I don't think it necessarily would have been a monumental waste of money to put multiplayer into The Last of Us or to create a Last of Us. Uh, multiplayer game but i do think that's a pretty hard pivot um there there are there are uh, a a number of uh uh, distinctly different disciplines that that are required to realize a multiplayer game and i think story in a multiplayer space is really really hard to pull off and uh it's the question of do you want to give up uh your naughty dog games that i know you love uh christian that and that that would have been the sacrifice that would have been required for, for something like this. And, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not like eager to go play GTA online or red dead online. I think that's a different kind of player. I'm super stoked for the campaign for, for GTA. You know, I I played red dead Two all the way through. Didn't touch the online. Um, Well, I suspect though. I mean, you bring that up. I think that's a a, a astute (laughs) comparison because I suspect that's a lot of what these uh, executives are looking at and going, look at the GTA five wouldn't have sold GTA five numbers without GTA online. Let's get us one of those. Let's get us a, perhaps a a, a golden calf. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, but GTA is like, it's, I think you guys mentioned it. Maybe like, this is what game looks like when money is no object. Yeah. And Rockstar is one of the only places in the world where they can actually write that check. I mean, right. even at Sony, like they have to cover a whole slate of games, not, yeah. not just support one game. So uh, it's um, it's a really, yeah, I think, I think that's what happens though. Executives look at it and they're like, why couldn't we do that? And the reason why is a billion dollars <laughs> that they don't I, have in their development in those budget. meetings. Jeff quick, and I have, simple meeting. We have this, we have this great idea for this thing that only costs this much to make. That's a great idea. But what if we made an animated movie, the style of Spider-Verse? Go make that. Okay. I, um, okay. I do think, though, that this decision, for me, the 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 silver lining between the lines is uh, Sony going, hey, there's value in single-player AAA. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, continuing to see that. Like, I think that's very good news for me personally, who prefers those kinds of games. So that I'm happy. I think um, I think as as the gaming audience matures, and we are part of it. It is my birthday. Got all my gray hairs turning forty. Literally maturing uh, right here today in front of us. Literally, yeah. My day, my my day of life celebration, uh, and also uh, like like the funeral for my my youth. Um, but, but like as as we get older and we're still gaming, and and we are now that generation that grew up with games and will game in into. Our, our our late golden years uh that 
that there's an audience that isn't craving being online for six hours a day because we don't have that kind of time. And right. even in retirement, uh, we'll be too busy taking <laughs> long afternoon naps uh, to, to spend all Can that time. Can we gamify my napping, please? Yes. Oh, that, <laughs> that's sleep. coming. It's called, it's called Pokemon Sleep. They did it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, um, I will. You got a good news story of well, the week, right, Jeff? I'm going to share it in just a second. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a sponsor. All right. Um, I don't want to do this story as the story of the week, but you guys have forced my hand because here it is, and it is the biggest story of the week. Let's pour one out, ladies and gentlemen. Pour one out. train is taking its long last turn into the tunnel being retired into the i don't know is there a train yard metaphor i can continue to belabor um e3 is officially dead we have talked about we have announced its death numerous times it has risen like a zombie from the ashes (laughs) like a phoenix uh and it has shambled forward and continued to uh, have some sort of presence in the game world. All of that has come to an end as the ESA released a statement this week saying it's over. It's over. We've had uh, over 20 years of uh, being one of the most important moments in the gaming calendar and uh, no more. Uh, the quote is, we know it's difficult to say goodbye to such a beloved event but it's the right thing to do given the new opportunities our industry has to reach fans and partners. This is the, from the CEO of the ESA. Um, E3 is dead. I mean, we have talked about, is it actually dead? We have predicted its death. I think actually Christian predicted this year, it would be back bigger and better than ever. So I'm going to enjoy. I predicted it would be great. And any E3 that doesn't leak my home address is a great E3. (laughs) Was that a, was that a cool ranch prediction or was it? Hey, it's accurate is what it was. <laughs> Any E3 that doesn't could not dox be, the entire industry is an accurate. Could is a great not be e- more no, wrong. I can't hear you again. Weird. <laughs> oh, no. what? Um, I, I feel like this was, you know, uh, talking about it with, with folks that a lot of people were like, wait, didn't E3 already die? And it's like, well, no. E3 like went missing. And now, like, like the ESA has produced the body and a court report a year later. It was a cold uh, so case. That they can make claim to the to the life insurance policy. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. What a sad, what a sad thing. It, I mean, it is was sad a, for everyone right? except Jeff Keeley, who is doing a jig in his seat as we speak. Um, you know, obviously, we I think we have spent time in the past uh, reminiscing about the former glories of E3's past uh, and how much of a, a part of our coming up in the, you know, the coverage of games it, it has been. Uh, Christian and I, you know, have both uh, spent a lot of time in at E3's. Uh, Sean, did, had you gone oh, to yeah. E3's? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, that was when I, when I really felt like, oh my gosh, I've made it. I'm a game developer. Yeah. Part of the industry was, was going to E3 and 
like showing off like Arkham games and stuff. Yeah. Right? Like that was, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was a way that you could mark your career. And it, it also was a great way to catch up with everyone every year. You would yeah. see so many, like, as, especially as the years went on so many faces that, Oh yeah, we worked on that game five years ago and we see each other at E3 every year. Like we're, we're now we're missing one more of those. Um, and I don't, I don't think it was, I think, I'm, I'm sure uh, Keeley is dancing a jig, but I don't think Jeff Keeley killed the game. Or, uh, I agree. E3. No. I think, I think the pandemic killed E3. I think I Sony think... and Microsoft like pulling out their support and, yeah. and you know, progress. I mean, it just, streaming. it's an albatross, yeah. right? It, it's a, it's a vestige of a different time and it's just yeah. not necessary to rent a giant conference hall bring everybody from around the country into one location, sit them in a room and tell them things like that's just not yeah. necessary. Do they still do the GameStop expo. Is that dead too? I genuinely That was always know. like a direct to retail event or yeah. like, like, like GameStop would, would host all of the different uh, developers and, and publishers. Um, and that would be a, like, like selling things in yeah. uh, to GameStop. But but like I think all of those things are changing and going away. Right. Um, it's just it's just the the way of the world. And I, I you know I obviously we've talked at length before about how E three started as as something like what you're describing, Sean. A, a it was really existed for retailers to know how to stock their shelves, and it metamorphosized into this uh, press event as a way to disseminate information to the larger you know games. Uh, populace that they had all the attention of the entire industry in one spot and it's just not required to disseminate information that way there are just better ways for companies to get their message out that costs them a lot less money and they have control and they're not there's no intermediary between them and the audience it's it just doesn't make sense as a thing anymore and that doesn't mean it's not sad i think as somebody who got to go uh, many, many times, I mean, I remember the first few times sneaking my way in, basically um, lying my way in because you could only get in as an industry person. I wasn't one yet. And uh, I just, you know, <laughs> pretended to be part of the industry in, in interesting ways. And, you know, all of that, all of that mystique around it and the fact that it was these, these closed door places. And there was some, something so very fun about all that. Um, but yeah. it's, I, I don't know other than our, you know, our shared, uh, nostalgia about it. I don't know if we're actually losing, you know, I, I, I agree with you about the social part of it. I agree with you about the sort of uh, magnitude of the moment for the industry, but I, I wonder if you think Sean, that we're actually losing something as an industry now. No, I, I, I mean, I think, I think, I think we're losing the nostalgia factor. I think, yeah. I think it's something that, you know, that, that if you were there, it was, it was special. It's kind of like your summer camp closing down. It's like, well, <laughs> right. eventually you got to grow up, you know, Such like a camp on a wanna can't, can't live forever. Like yes. it's going to close its doors eventually. Um, and you know, there's still, there's, I mean, surprisingly there's more thriving, uh, like game shows, uh, of, internationally you know uh yeah gamescom Gamescom, uh the tokyo game show um you know i 
Gamescom is my favorite show. I, I, I love, love Gamescom. Um, and I think that, you know, there's, there's GDC for devs. That's always a great place to catch up. Uh, although the prices of GDC trips hmm. just keep on going up. Uh, <laughs> and it is so close to DICE. Like DICE is in February and then GDC is in March. And it's like, I just saw all these people in Vegas. Do I do I need to go spend $900 a night for a 200 square foot <laughs> room uh, in San Francisco for a week? Um but no, it's there's a there's plenty of places where people can get together in person. Still, there's plenty of opportunities for that. Yeah, um, it's just pouring one out for a thing that that outlived its time. Indeed, Christian. I think, uh, I think the entire industry can agree that the biggest loss is that our bumper is no longer relevant. Well, that and all the hungry developers. You know, we would bring cake every year. We to, did. Uh, our game, we did a, we a did. life-size cutout of us the first year, and then we would bring Hungry Developers Delicious DLC. Uh, a delicious. Cake, a, a cake with a our faces cake. on it. Mm-hmm. So they could literally eat our face as a reward. For our game of show. Yeah, as a reward. Which I sent Someone it. gave me a, a, a cookie at, at E3 once, um, and I didn't know it was an edible. Um, oh my that's that's a bold gift eating this cookie and i'm like man this is pretty good this is a pretty good this is the best ever (laughs) our cakes were regular cakes uh they were delicious i sent it in discord so you all can see it too but i have it here on the video version it's from uh um nintendo world report and it's like an older article but there's pictures of e3 nintendo's e3 in the year 2000 which to me does not feel that long ago except that it is the creation of a human being that is now well past drinking age in the united states but i think to some extent what killed e3 quote unquote was jeff you kind of said progress but i think the esa itself i think what e3 was or is or should be disappeared and if you look back at these pictures from 2000 it's like nintendo it's just a dinky little banner hung on a black curtain as two executives sit on dinky little wood chairs there's a picture of attendees and like c-tier you know wedding conference chair style thing and it became this idea of and whether the companies did it or whether esa pushed it or what it became but this you know marketing bedazzle and i think they <laughs> lost focus of what what market they were serving and who they were serving it for, which I think is disastrous for any quote product. You know, you, you go through these, what are our pillars? What are our tenants? Who's our market? What problem are we solving? And I think the ESA, excuse me, the ESA lost that for E3 a while ago. And I think they tried to scramble to find it when they did that Santa Monica version. Yeah, and and the, I, and I just don't hangers. think they knew what it was or, or, or what I, I don't it was know if you can be. lay that at the feet of the ESA. I, certainly they're not without culpability, but I, you know, I, you show that picture from 2000 of people sitting at a table, but like three years later, it was, you know, half pipes and fire breathers and uh, mostly naked people mostly naked women yeah that yeah. then you know we we progressed and walked that back um yes, thankfully uh the the booth babes uh be, became a thing of the past but i do think there was also a big transition point when they let fans in 
Um, you know, there, there was, and that's where I think the ESA got over their skis, like, uh, Gamescom, uh, TGX, all those. You mean they put their butt over their legs, I think. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's, but there's a, I like it's, you were saying S K I I S, but I heard S K E E Z E. (laughs) They got over their skis. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it was, it was like, Hey, do you want to take a picture? (laughs) Right. I got pretty ladies behind the curtain here. You can take a picture with them. No money. You just got to print a story about Cat Roots, the new game for Nintendo 64. That's like, right. Yeah, that That's was weird. that. That was that was E3 once upon a time. But I, you know, you look at like take Gamescom for example. They have the the consumer side of the show where they let fans in, and it's like a big hullabaloo. And then they have the the Gamescom Business Center, which is where all the actual like work happens, where where there's you know reporters getting you know uh, opportunities to interview devs and business deals being made between publishers and and teams. Um, and the ESA never perfected that kind of split. Um, you know, like the they they basically said like let's just throw a bunch of fans into <laughs> yeah. into yeah. the press and business center events and, you know we'll have little business centers inside of the fan event and it was uh it was a mess of a yeah. show once they let fans in it became a lot more crowded it became a lot more chaotic press would have trouble getting into the the places that they needed to get into and um so there was yeah. something lost there and i think that was the beginning of the end you're not wrong. It is, it is certainly true. I, I just think that it became this like clamoring for attention. Uh, and, and so people that it would just escalate as until we got to, you know, fire breathing half court, you know, half pipe. Uh, that's one of my enduring memories is walking by the half pipe that was built in there with literal, literal fire breathers indoors. And I was like, what, <laughs> this can't be safe. <laughs> this is not you can all, <laughs> we can all blame it on Jamie Kennedy. That's who we can lay the E3's death on is Jamie yeah. Kennedy interviewing of i think it was tony hawk i think it was that same year they did yeah. that and uh and, yeah jamie it's your fault and also you know <laughs> sean just made a, a joke about you know n64 and the the naked ladies and it, it all sounds it sounds like hyperbole but i another <laughs> of my was. biggest memories is nintendo wholesome nintendo was like hey how are we gonna demo our new handheld game oh i know we'll tether them to like two dozen blonde girls that we got to stand and literally you had to, I was in the room. We walked up to the lady whose job was to be a stanchion that she's like the, the, she's literally a pole that a a chain is attached to. So I don't steal the video game away. You know, it's like, and she's a person. It was the craziest thing ever. And you had this awkward moment. We're like, "Uh, Hey, I'm, I'm just here to, play the game. I, I'm sorry that you have to stand there while I do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. Just... I, I remember <laughs> working, working the E3 floor uh, for, I think it was Lego Batman two DC superheroes. One of my favorite games that I've worked on. Uh, and, and, you know, when you're on, when you're on Lego duty, you are a babysitter because there's some, you know, there's always some executives that bring their kid in and, <laughs> and then they park them. They, they basically hand them off. They're like, can you show him how to play? And then they're like, I think he knows how to play. He's already playing and the parent is already gone. <laughs> You're like, Oh, Oh, I see what happened here. But I remember demoing that. And, you know, like it was, it was me and some folks from WB and some folks from TT games. 
And then, and then right next to us, right next to our wholesome Lego DC game, uh, was a cosplayer on a pedestal uh, promoting Lollipop Chainsaw. <laughs> Uh, like, like as dressed as the main character from Lollipop Chainsaw. (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, so there's all these lascivious (laughs) gamer boys, you know, like, Oh, let me take a picture of her next to these kids. Just being like, wow, it's Superman and he can fly. (laughs) The juxtaposition got weird. Yeah. Who who owns DC now though? Kittleson. Yeah. Lollipop Chainsaw. Right. uh... (laughs) It's actually, it's, it's, it's true. It's true. Oh man. Well, Gun prevails. Sad day uh, for those of us that recall it fondly, uh, even with all its, uh, you know, all its warts. It was a, uh, it was an experience to have lived through for two decades, and uh, it's wild to see. I, I honestly don't think it leaves a vacuum. I really don't. Um, I know that not that, when you have forty world premieres at the Game Awards <laughs> that are not about awards, right? Um, right. Uh, and, you know, we still have the Summer of Games, which is a thing. Uh, and I, I, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves, if it does. But I, I think really what has filled the vacuum and what, you know, it's not even a vacuum because it just pushed E3 out, is the fact that each of these companies can just carve out its own day to say, hey, we're going to do this presentation online. Or maybe we'll do it multiple times in a year and we'll just talk about one game here, one game there. And it's all just direct to the audience and that's that's the way of the industry now. And I, I don't necessarily yeah. think that's worse. I really don't. I do wonder if we'll lose that summer date. I think a lot of companies are still coalescing around. Some, maybe Summer Games Fest will still keep them doing that. But I think they were Microsoft and Ubisoft are still keeping those summer dates in the like, oh, if E3 comes back, we're already in this cadence. Yeah. And if it truly does kind of go away do folks still take the time? At what point does Summer Games Fest become too expensive? Are we just going to re- see the same problems again? If this year there's a half pipe at Summer Games Fest, you know we've messed up. You know, <laughs> I just I, I don't think there's going to be a time when the big platform holders aren't going to want to fill people in on what to be excited about. You know, come Christmas, come you know what to get excited yeah. about for next year. Why to own the console that they're selling? I, I think they'll will always have that need it'll just be assessed addressed differently well it was in september well it used yeah it used to be you know uh, september through the end of november was sales season for games right it was the like the pre-holiday into the holiday season was when you got your blockbuster games we saw blockbuster games drop in all yeah. year long february three <laughs> yeah. yeah february was a big month and that used to be it used to be like january february is a dead month january right. we have tekken 8 coming out like we have, like there's so much stuff i think tekken 8 comes out of january I there's no the dead, dead months month, but, there's no such there's thing no as the dead, dead months yeah and that's where i think you'll always have now that there's year-round sales seasons um the summer is the only dead zone where you don't really get a blockbuster release in june or july but that's a great time to hype your blockbuster release for August, September. Um, Except so, this year we yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, Diablo four came out in July. <laughs> oh, this yeah. Year, you know, it's oh, like, yeah. It's, when did final fantasy yeah, 16 come out? Yeah. Something like that. May Somewhere, or something. Yeah. yeah. It was, a, it was a non-stop. long year. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we got speaking of nonstop games, we got games that we've been playing to tell you about. So let's get into the playlist. Ooh, 
John, you have been playing a lot of stuff, and I want to get into all of it, but maybe we should start with uh, one of the things that all three of us have played, uh, which is the brand new surprise DLC, free DLC mode for God of War Ragnarok called Valhalla. Uh, this it turns yeah. God of War Ragnarok into a roguelite. You kind of re- referenced this earlier in the show. Uh, what do you think of it? You know, just when I thought it was safe to delete <laughs> God of War Ragnarok too. from my hard drive. And I know, when, you, when you said that on last week's show, I was like, oh my God, I'm in the same, literally the same boat. Because um, uh, I, was, I was clearing space for, for more games. Um, but yeah, I, 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 the last thing I needed in 2023 was for game of the year from 2022 to like come roaring back and be like, I need more of your time. So true. It's like, help me, help me. I need more of your time. Uh, and, and uh, darn it. They, they got me. Uh, th- this, uh, I am, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I might be enjoying Valhalla more than I enjoyed the, the, the campaign uh, for, for God of War Ragnarok. Wow. Um, because I, I loved God of War, I loved Ragnarok a little bit less. Because um, uh, God of War, I feel like, was the pure experience. It was it was a little bit more contained, a little much more focused on a singular story arc. Uh, Ragnarok is a little all over the place. Uh, it feels like it suffers from you know the the a little bit of bloat. Um, and, uh, the characters never shut up. This is a thing in Sony <laughs> games now where ju- they're just like, we're going to talk the entire time. <laughs> Spider-Man is getting a phone call. He hangs up. Spider-Man is getting another phone call <laughs> and a text message. His social life is thriving and everyone knows the identity is not secret. Um, Ragnarok felt like that to me. There was a point where I was like, please stop. Please stop telling me what is around the next corner. Uh, please stop making a, a meta self-aware comment about what is going on. Um, and, and that's coming as a game writer. I was just going to say game writer <laughs> saying fewer words in games, please. Fewer words. <laughs> like let, like let the material breathe. The show don't tell. Um, but, but where Ragnar, where Valhalla feels like it's hitting the sweet spot for me as I mean, it's there's, there's a lot of action, but they, they do have a story in there. They did tie it back to, you know, it feels like a worthy follow-up to the story. I loved, I loved ultimately where the story landed in Ragnarok, but, but there was a lot of it. And now I feel like I'm just getting this brilliant. Maybe it's also the impatient. I have too many things on my plate gamer in me too, but this is just getting right to the heart of it. It's like let's let's go let's get some action let's get a little story and then back to the action yeah um and it's it's hooked me it's hooked me and it's like i hate it i hate it for hooking me because <laughs> i still haven't finished Baldur's gate 3 or alan wake 2 and there's too many things yeah there are indeed the yes. the other thing that it reminded me is like how good this combat system is so good it's so good it's so tight and so solid and the way it it you know, run after run because you're in this roguelite thing where you you know die, rinse, repeat, um, and that it immediately says, "Hey, make a decision on how you'd like to specialize uh, right away in each run." Right. And you're like, "Okay, I'm kind of going down this path this time. I have this kind of interesting new build, and it, it it that combat system supports that, right? I don't think it, that combat system was built for that. It was built as this." you know, big, uh, uh, big 
tool belt where you can just do everything all at once all the time. Uh, but to have you sort of specialize and like really refine what, how you want to approach it this time, it's super fun. And the, the comment is just so satisfying. It's amazing how they've applied this. <laughs> it really feels like somebody went, somebody played Hades and was like, yeah, we're talking about the same gods. <laughs> we can make that. We have all this. We have literally all the same people in our game. We could make that. Uh, and they did it. And it's it's phenomenal. Christian, uh, you've been playing it as well. Yeah, it took me about seven hours to roll credits. I don't want to spoil any of the narrative stuff in it because I think the narrative stuff it does is excellent. So I will I will speak vague to that stuff. But I, I really loved how it told a narrative as a OG God of War fan. I love its particular narrative. And it's an it, you know, these versions of Sony Santa Monica's God of War have never abandoned the narrative of what Kratos was before. It wasn't a you know full retcon of who this character is. And they talked about where he was and what he came to be. And I I really loved the story in Valhalla. I think it's excellent. I think it's delivered really well. I love this idea of roguelites that tell stories. Hades, I think, you know, set the bar for what that could be in terms of it's not just purely the mechanics, which are excellent, but it's also, it almost rewards you for dying. You know, there are times where yeah. you're frustrated that you die, but then you come back, particularly in Hades, and you're like, oh, I know I probably wouldn't have beat the game on that run anyway, but now I'm kind of glad I didn't because this stuff that's changed back at home is so fascinating. And um, God of War Ragnarok Valhalla certainly does some of that as well. It has forced resets, which I think are an interesting story technique as well to kind of force some of those where you're having a good run and it will kind of still, quote unquote, deliver you back to the beginning to give you those narrative beats, at least on on my Long oh no, it's, it's handled so well. Yeah, I mean, when, really when cool. the first time they come back and, and Kratos is like, we did not die. And then, and then like Freya comes out and she's like, yeah, well, you know, Valhalla decides yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like when you're ready, like, like you weren't ready. And um, I, I, wow. I love that. I thought that was great. I, I also love a shorter roguelike. I don't think it needs to be, like I said, I think it was seven hours, maybe eight you know, I don't know like how accurate promising. My game <laughs> clock is. And I'm not trying to say I have like elite skills. I played this. I played the main game on whatever, like one notch above standard. And I played, I ended up dropping this down from where I played the main game one notch. I love rogue types that have difficulty settings. <laughs> I think that's super satisfying and rewarding. And I love that it's, you know, manageable. And I, I hope more folks learn from that, especially taking this approach of we have the tools, you know, we've, we have this stuff in place. Now we can make this a mode. It doesn't need to be 30 hours. It doesn't need to be a hundred hours saying all that rogue type games are still not my preferred genre. I would, you know, differ from Sean here that I much prefer, preferred the main game of Ragnarok, even as I was playing in my successful credits run, I wasn't sure how much that was me or the RNG shining favor on me in those moments. And Valhalla has less RNG, I feel like, than a traditional um, rogue light style game, where if you die kind of mid-run, it seems like the next... If you die in a run, the next time you go through, those boss encounters will be the same. It won't totally reorganize everything. Uh, So I still kind of bristle at that, wondering, like, am I good enough? Or did the gods, literally, in this instance, you know, shine favor on me? 
But what a complete package, something that if they charge $10, $15 for, I don't think people would be upset after they went hands-on with it. And to have this be a free mode that just dropped. And it's stunning. Just stunning. The locations you go to, the versions of the locations you go to, absolutely stunning. And the voice work is also top-notch. Like, no, nobody phoned this in. You know, no, nobody was just yeah. like, oh, we're doing a few more lines. Here you go. Top-notch, top-to-bottom. Um my game of the year. Oh, wrong episode. Sorry. Wrong episode. But stunning. But yeah, a bunch of a lot of stunning moments. And, you know, again, when I say that I, I, I favor this over uh, Ragnarok, it, it's purely, again, in the, the impatience of the experience that get on with it and the <laughs> stop talking, everybody just, give, just let me fight for a minute without someone making a witty comment. Yeah. But, you know, I spent 45 hours in, in the main game uh, and did a whole lot of the side mission side quests yeah. along the way there. And the game had so much and, and had a way of unfolding where it, it felt like there was something new. And I coming back to it for Valhalla, there was a part of me that was, you know, like, Oh, am I going to have, I forgotten how to fight in this game? Have I forgotten all the controls? And then like Celine Dion's, it's all coming back to me just started playing. <laughs> like, oh no, it's just, it just works. It's such a fit. And it felt like discovering it all over again. Like I think it's it's the exact right timing for this to come out, um, yeah. Even if it is, you know, destroying my my ability to sleep at night. <laughs> There's so many things to play. As God of War Ragnarok Valhalla, uh, free download, but uh, just one small part of your playlist. So, Sean, what else do you want to talk about? Yeah, well, I play a lot um, of things, and it and definitely like you know is, is worth noting. Like, I don't get to play everything to completion. Um, yeah. Cause I, I try to play it all. Um, I guess, you know, I have played all the Fortnites. I'll say that boy, I'm enjoying me some Fortnite, uh, mostly playing with my son and, and a couple of friends and, and, uh, some of my son's friends. And that's really what Fortnite is for me now. It's, it's, it's the social experience of it. And, um, I'm really enjoying the new season, really enjoying these new modes. Uh, I felt very much like an old, playing lego Fortnite and realized like this is a serious survival game like, <laughs> like like or at least the mode that the, the kids are playing on it it's like no like you're gonna starve and these <laughs> these skeletons are just gonna beat you to death while you're starving in the cold <laughs> freezing rain and i was like this is so brutal so so hardcore um but the games that that i've i'm really excited to to share today are, are ones that i think that people maybe haven't played as much because like, you, know, you guys have talked enough about Alan Wake 2 and, and Baldur's no, Gate 3. No, there's always room for more. <laughs> there's Alan always room for more, but <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3 is by far my, my game of the year. Um, it's it's the game I've spent the most time on. I've put uh, like 75 hours into it now. Um, so you're still which it, for me is is a lot that's a lot yeah that's <laughs> that's the that's the most I've spent. I've got I've got into Act 3 and I spent the last four hours roaming around in the sewers. <laughs> I'm just mucking around in the sewers of Baldur's so, so good. It's so good. Um, so great. So amazing. I think my favorite storytelling uh in a game this year, uh, for sure. Um, has one of the best kickoffs and I think illustrates, you know, why I haven't I need to go back to Starfield. I will play Starfield, but the opening of Starfield is like, hey, there's an adventure for you out there. Or not. We don't really care. <laughs> Do you want to go on it? You don't have to. I want to stress that it's purely optional to go on this adventure. <laughs> you could go do anything else right now. And you're like, no, I want to go on the adventure. And they're like, 
are you sure? And it's like, I don't think you want me to go on this adventure versus Baldur's Gate 3. It's like, there's a worm in your head. I got one too. We got to get these. We're all going to die. Game over. Yeah, we're all going to die. Let's go. Uh, and this every is- character that you run into, it has that imperative. Uh, and I love it. This is the opposite of of Christian's problem, which, you know, the previous Bethesda games is like, your son is missing. He's, you have to find him. Or maybe you can start your own business. You know, it's like. Perhaps (laughs) having a family wasn't in the cards for you. Maybe, maybe you never got to realize your own dreams. And that child was just a leech. Um, Yeah, there's a, there's a different vibe there. Um, And then Alan Wake 2, chef's kiss, like beautiful game um uh, scares scares the, the pee out of me um the things that the i don't th- i don't know if you guys have talked about have you guys talked about last train home no uh, at all okay so last train home is a special one um and i you know there's a particular niche i am a a big history buff uh military history buff i sound like the 40 year old dad that i am um <laughs> uh and world war one is is you know, by far, like the the uh, the historical era that I've spent the most time studying, and and that I kind of deep dive into. I have a a photo of my great grandfather in his American Expeditionary Force uniform uh, on my desk, with like buttons from from uh, said uniform. Um, and this game is about uh, Czechoslovak legionnaires um, who. Uh, were told to to be neutral uh, by by their new government, um, trying to get home uh, through the Eastern Front uh, towards the end of the the war, um, in the midst of the Russian Civil War, uh, and they are beset by you know uh, loyalists on one side, monarchists uh, who who you know want to protect the Tsar, and then uh, the Reds who are coming in and and taking taking the country for for lenin and and communism um and you are again just trying to get home (laughs) with with uh with your with your platoon um and so you you take on various roles it is kind of a real-time tactical train sim um in a frost punk mold Mm. um but that shares real history uh, that the team like like actually did a whole lot of historical research uh, and and you know found these these uh, this, this writing from a captain who who was there uh, make that captain a a main character uh, in the story and you are not just managing the resources to get that train there like I said you are you're going out you're foraging you're engaging in tactical combat. Uh, it's it's real time, but you can pause at any time. Not quite to the level of fidelity that you get in like a Mimimi Mi game, where you have a lot of options and stealth. Like this is a game that's kind of hardcore, <laughs> really really mm-hmm. wants you to play it a certain way. Um, Ashbourne Games is the team behind it. Like shout out to them. I think they what they've made. They're a Czech team. They've made a game that's that's rooted deep in Czech history. Um, and they've made an experience that is somber and sobering, and, and I think ultimately, like incredibly, like a, a beautiful tribute um, to to the history of of, uh, of their country and to that time. Um, an incredibly human game, a, a game about a compellingly human game, where it's not 
there is no Rambo (laughs) in this. And, and your soldiers are people, they have these individual personality traits, you know, some of them are themselves, uh, uh, you know, in favor of a Republic, uh, in, in, in Czech and others are themselves monarchists and, and believe like, no, no, Czech should be a monarchy. Um, it's, it's hard to describe everything in it because there's so much in it. There's a demo that um, apparently you can play it for like eight or nine hours just in the demo. Wow. I, I didn't, I didn't know this until I, I did some digging. Um, but I think the full game is well worth it. If, if you are interested in, you know, games as history, um, obviously this is an adaptation, so it's not one-to-one. It's not going to show you exactly what it was like, but you will learn. Uh, a lot about that time and if games like this war of mine uh frostpunk uh, appeal to you um this this game is in that mold uh, in fact i think on steam they have a a bundle with 11-bit studios this war of mine um uh, which makes so much sense uh because again it's you're getting to know these stories you're going into villages that have just been raided uh and you meet someone and you're like, can we help you? And they're like, all you soldiers are the same. All you know how to do is kill. Please just leave. <laughs> I'm not giving you anything. Please just leave. And you have, are we going to leave this person alone? Or are we going to like take their grain? Wow. Are we going to, are we going to go find the, the, the reds that, that burned their fields and, and seek justice? Or are we going to go find those reds and try to take the supplies that they took, or are we just going to leave them alone because we've been ordered to maintain neutrality. And if we open fire, we're going to invite a whole lot of pain when we get to the next stop on this train. Like, Hmm. um, so a brilliant, beautiful experience. Um, again, that's called last train home. Um, yeah. Sounds like a very powerful game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, I like, I like going grim, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but you know, it's not your feel good game of the year. It is your uh, sobering uh, reality. And, you know, at a time when uh, there's plenty of uh, real war and and suffering in Mm -hmm. the headlines. um, I do think it's a, it's, it's a way to reflect on all of those, those events. And, and it's not a game that you play for fun. Uh, It's a game that you play to, to, to go deep. Um, On a slightly lighter note, (laughs) also kind of somber, is a Highland song. Um, This game came out, uh, I think, last week, December 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 fifth, ten days ago now, Um, uh, from Inkle, uh, the studio behind Eighty Days, um, uh, Heaven's Vault, uh, and Overboard. Which Overboard is one of my favorite uh like dynamic story games ever it, it's if you haven't played overboard it's i think it's it's on ios and, and android a uh, brilliant mystery game where uh essentially you have murdered your husband on this cruise ship and uh you you need to convince everyone on the crew that you didn't do it and someone else did <laughs> that's great <laughs> uh it's a terrific premise um and it it is meant to be looped like you are going to fail and then come back and use your knowledge from the previous loop uh to see if you can get a better headline uh coming out of it like are you going to get arrested when you get off this ship or are, who is going to take the fall um <laughs> what is that game called again overboard overboard um that's a that's a juicy one from a few years back uh now they're back with 
all of their games are very eclectic. They also did the sorcery games, um, the Steve Jackson sorcery oh, yeah. uh, adaptations. Um, this all of their games are unique, uh, and I think this one might be my favorite. A Highland um, song. Uh, a Highland song. Yeah. Um, you are Moira, a young girl in the Scottish Highlands, uh, whose uh, uncle uh, Hamish has has like invited her out to his lighthouse, and she has to make it before uh, Biltane, which is like the the Gaelic May Day um celebration um and she is going to hike in a year where climbing games uh have been surprisingly strong for sure uh here's another one (laughs) um this game is beautiful looking i'm just checking it out isn't it yes it's all painted backgrounds uh, a a kind of uh uh, like like a western miyazaki-esque tone uh and and style to the animation and the characters a um, 2D kind of side scroller uh, look to it, but but like you said, painted backgrounds that are just real, just gorgeous, colorful, and just gorgeous. Yeah, um, and it's and it's a it's a rhythm game at points. Oh, interesting. Like, as there there are points where uh, Moira is is running along and she will pick up speed, and you'll find like a deer, and you can you know sprint behind the deer, and me- the music will just come up, and it's it's a gorgeous soundtrack. Um, and you will have these light points upon the ground that, that you jump, uh, at each point of light and it, it's, you get stronger, uh, so you can climb higher, further, faster, um, uh, as you, as you progress and as you complete these, these musical, uh, uh, points. And I haven't, I haven't finished it yet. I'm, I think I'm pretty close. Uh, I've, I've heard it's about a three, three hour game, three, four hours for a run, um, but again, it's just beautiful, and and there is a there is a very personal story uh, of family to be told. I mean, it it ends it starts rather in that classic way of like you're leaving the house and like you don't want your mom to know, <laughs> and and then like you're like you you can sneak under the window so she doesn't see you as you're as you're walking out, um, and then you journey into uh, the Highlands of Scotland uh, to run and jump and climb. Um, all while you are collecting items and uh, hearing memories from letters. You've never actually, I don't know that you've actually met uncle Hamish before in person, or it's been a while since you've seen him and your dad's out of the picture. Uh, so you have these letters and you hear excerpts from those letters play out as you discover different points and things. And um, just a beautiful, beautiful yeah, game. This looks like um, something I would be really into. Um, yeah. It's uh uh, 18 bucks on steam uh, right now it's called a highland song uh really steam cool. and i think it's on switch as well okay um and although it doesn't say that it's steam deck compatible or it didn't on the store page when i bought it uh, i can confirm that it is steam deck compatible um uh beautiful little game Wonderful. like i think i actually and it's kind of heartwarming the music again it will it will take you someplace um a great game Amazing. Uh, that's great. I, I, you know, um, I, you're here and you play a lot of VR and I really want to get to the VR segment. Uh, so, um, I, well, maybe we'll, we'll leave it there for, for games that we've been sure. playing. Uh, Christian, you have, you have one you wanted to mention though, right? I do. It is a beautiful hand drawn, violent Metroidvania called cookie cutter. And I love side scrolling platformers. I love Metroidvania's, 
holy moly does cookie cutter do a whole lot right it is bombastic the very basic premise of the story behind the game uh it's a futuristic world lots of ais uh you get to offload your personality into robots but of course it's not what it seems world goes to crap uh someone builds you your bot fall in love that person gets kidnapped you're gonna go get your revenge as this android and it is so fun i've talked about a few of the metroidvanias and platformers that i've played this year where the controls didn't quite click or the combat didn't quite feel well something just didn't feel right about what was happening or i couldn't get into a christmas carol version of a metroidvania for whatever reason that didn't quite gel with me to have ebenezer dashing and caning his Mm. way through enemies cookie cutter i have none of those problems with i mean you are out for revenge you don't care who gets in your way the hand-drawn art is absolutely phenomenal and the way it kind of progresses you through this metroidvania exploration is also really fun a lot of not a lot but oftentimes those games i think are a little too slow to give you the next power up or to point you in the next direction and some people kind of like i think getting lost in that wilderness i don't i like kind of knowing where i need to go whether or not if i know how to get there or not and i think cookie cutter does a really good job at that and it's also really cool there's a mechanic in it where you are you have special attacks a whole bunch of different weapons that you're getting and you gain your special attack currency by doing your regular attack so if you just go in and like punch 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 people that charges up your special meter and then when you use your special meter you can use it for your special attacks but you can also use it to heal your body and some of your special attacks will also be used to open uh, traversal options and so there's this real cool kind of mini game micromanagement happening of how often you go in like kind of the push pull of what doom 2016 did of rushing you into combat to beat people up to then use to charge up your special attack to then pull out to then use some of your special attack ability to heal yourself to then run back in do some regular attack then unleash your special attack really really fun really gorgeous and not for kids (laughs) (laughs) yeah when you said cookie cutter I hadn't looked at it until just now. This thing is bananas looking. Yes. Uh, and a lot of times you'll want to go in, you'll, you'll have a parry, which my parry timing isn't great. Like my two nits with the game is I'm not sure if it's me or kind of how the game or the hand-drawn art perhaps telegraphs moments. I miss my parry more than I want to. Your parry is pretty powerful where you can go into a parry. You'll kind of get into like a Souls-like or a Sekiro. You'll stun the enemy and then you can unleash a finisher on them devastating gory finishers my parry timing i seem to be missing it a little bit and sometimes i can't tell when i'm taking damage like if i'm in a big scrum i feel like i'm evading and parrying right but then i come out of it with 30 percent of my health gone and i didn't quite clock that as i was playing but it's on sale on steam right now it's called cookie cutter it's if you love metroidvanias and just beautiful hand-drawn game with a lot of stuff going on bits and bops and blood and guts it's really really well done cookie cutter i love it not to be confused with cookie clicker yes no. very very different game very, <laughs> a little a little different. very different game uh yeah. all right let's uh I, boy i've been playing so much amazing vr lately let's get into it with some vr talk Virtual reality. VR. Virtual reality. Just VR. 
Sean, we are uh, both uh, lovers of VR games. Uh, your company has created some excellent ones. Um, there have been a number of really, really excellent ones lately. Um, yeah. Where would you like to start? Man, uh, I'll do a quick rundown so we can get to the the meaty new stuff. Yeah. Um, but but you know, played a lot of Assassin's Creed Nexus. Um, uh, you know, enjoyed so much of that campaign. Um, Beat Saber came out with their uh, original soundtrack six uh, update, which uh, most notably comes with 120 hertz uh, mode uh, on Quest three. That is absolutely phenomenal. Also, one of the hardest uh, original soundtracks that you will find. Uh, they've got Dragon Force uh, and a new Camellia track, which I the, you cannot play them if you play the game by bending your arms at the elbows. You, <laughs> you have to be one of those people that uh, you must have the supple wrists of a 13-year-old StarCraft pro. <laughs> um, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Um, uh, and then I played a bit of the Resident Evil 4 remake VR mode. Didn't really enjoy it. Oh, really? Um, huh. Was, was, uh, yeah, actually, I, I prefer, I prefer the, the GameCube era version on Quest. Interesting. Um, feel, feels more solid. Prefer a lot of the interface choices that are made more, uh, on the Quest version. Um, and, uh, there's a particular thing for me with Resident Evil games, where uh i like to turn off motion blur the re engine can give me some motion sickness Mm. um and you cannot turn motion blur off so i find that when you move everything becomes a blurry mess Mm. uh on psvr2 and and then when you stop moving and you're standing still hey suddenly things are sharp again um so there's a lot of noise and i think some some reprojection uh, uh, happening that's that's leading to to latency in the inputs that I'm also not really not really uh, jiving with. Um, but uh, but those games aside, we got a couple of monsters in Asgard's Wrath Two, which just comes out yeah now today. But but I I've had hands on it, uh, and then uh, Arizona Sunshine Two, which uh, which came out a week or two ago so yes. i don't know jeff where do you want to start well let's uh, start with arizona sunshine 2 um yeah uh, i've had a chance to play arizona sunshine 2 on both quest 3 and psvr 2 um as a standalone uh quest 3 game obviously it's not going to look quite as good as the psvr 2 version and i will say it is it is noticeable i think if you're looking for the the most beautiful version of this game the, the prettiest version of the game uh psvr2 is the way to go uh i think the textures uh, are, are markedly improved on psvr2 and it is a it is a real pretty game um yeah th- this is uh, if you don't remember arizona sunshine seven years ago it came out one of the early standouts for vr uh it's a game where you're you're killing zombies it's story story-based game moving through uh post-apocalyptic arizona uh killing zombies the sequel Gives you a doggy, buddy, buddy the dog, buddy the, buddy the dog, and it's just a delight. I mean, you, the way you meet the dog, you play a little fetch with them, and um, it, it's it's awesome. It's it, what you would expect from a dog in a video game. You get to tell them to you know take down a, a target. So if you're getting overwhelmed by lots of zombies coming at you, you can have one you know handled by the dog, which is cool. Um, he can fetch things for you to solve puzzles. Pretty cool. Um, I'm I'm having a blast with Arizona Sunshine too. I I really really like it. It's you know it's 
profane and adult and and fun, but has a really good sense of humor. And uh, it's just really satisfying to shoot zombies in the head. These are sort of your slow moving zombies for the most part. Um, and, and it has some cool set pieces. And like I said, good kind of tongue in cheek humor. You got this voice in your head that's constantly kind of wry and it's been living in the post apocalypse for too long and is just over it. Um, what did you think of Arizona Sunshine? Too? Uh, I love it. I mean, you know, I, I, I spent years working on Walking Dead games and, and immersed in zombies and now now work at a studio <laughs> that's yeah. known for making a Walking Dead VR game. But which is excellent, you know, it's very, by the way. Yes. Oh, thank yeah. yeah. Saints and Sinners is, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's a joy uh, to work with that team. But it's such a different game, right? Like yeah. Saints and Sinners, Walking Dead Saints and Sinners is a is a survival horror sim in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got your hunger you got to deal with. You're you're you've got a the the feel of the melee combat is heavier and there's a there's a punch to it. This is you know to that grounded walking dead grim and gritty experience this is house of the dead um <laughs> yeah this is it's you know the, it's a dead bur- island trailer it's burnout to forza <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's zombie land to romero right, right? like right. it like the 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 it's so over the top um and it's about that satisfying getting the pop of the headshot um, there's, there's some really great, uh, gore, uh, tech at work here with, with, uh, you know, dismantling the zombies. It's always, it's hard not to call zombies walkers because I was so <laughs> trained, uh, working on walking dead. They're walkers, not zombies. Um, but, but taking down the zombies, taking them apart, gradually degrading them, uh, is just awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and buddy is the heart and soul of this. Like it is, you know, it's it's a cliche to say save the cat but when you save the dog in the first 10 minutes of this game you're in from that point on you're like i want to be this guy and i want him to not be lonely and i want buddy and me to live forever (laughs) like it's just it's it's a joy uh it's a it's a lot of fun very funny um well written i don't think overwritten uh i think i think there's just the right amount uh of of personality on there uh and um Really, just really, yeah, really great work. Really, yeah. really well-made game. You know, it's a, it's a game that doesn't overstay its welcome. It's got some cool, you know, very light puzzle-solving exploration stuff, some crafting. Uh, but mostly it's this arcadey, you know, shoot zombies in the head because that's super fun and uh, move through this world and, and have these cool little set-piece moments. Um, yeah, it's got a horde mode. It's got a co-op, two-player co-op mode you can play with if you have another friend who has a headset. Um, yeah, uh, Arizona Sunshine 2. I think excellent, excellent game. Really fun. An ex- excellent like game to snack on. Yeah. Because you can kind of clock in, clock out, 30 minutes, knock out a chapter. Totally. Um, and uh, and have a good time and feel like, okay, I don't need to stay in the headset for hours. Right. Unlike the next game that we'll talk about. <laughs> Which I'm sure you've played a lot more of than I. I, I did not get an early copy of Asgard's Wrath 2. Uh, so I've only played about two hours this morning when I woke up. Um, but holy moly, is it right? delivering on what I'd hope. The first Asgard's Wrath, I very much enjoyed. I remember talking about it on the show. Um, Sansara Games really, I think, uh, set out to make that thing that I've wanted, I think a lot of people have wanted with VR, which is like, you know, a, a sort of Zelda-like or, or a big immersive action RPG where you're doing lots of different kinds of things you know, in this big uh, 
complex world with you know deep storytelling and i think asgard uh, asgard's wrath 2 from what i've played of the first two hours really seems to indicate they have gotten there yeah oh yeah it's it's i mean it's actually staggering how much it reminds me of god of war yeah uh, right and, well, like, and how inverted it is right yeah. where it's <laughs> i mean it's all the same po- odin and freya and and uh, yeah it's all no, the same instead of, yeah instead of a instead of a, a greek god coming to norse mythology you are a norse god coming to egyptian mythology <laughs> right. in this one yeah um and uh and my goodness uh is there a lot of game here i played it yesterday i put i put like a little over four hours into it i played it till my headset died twice like i played it until i got the warning and then kept playing and then got the second warning it was like okay i don't i don't want to short this thing out um but that's that's how good it is gang like it's a it's a lose yourself just one more fight just yeah. one more thing to do it comes with the roguelike Valhalla mode intact from the jump. Uh, so very early on, uh, you you get these this rift uh, mode that you can go into and just start going and fighting and, and having a whole separate progression tree and, and all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the only thing that I don't like about it is the kind of uh, Souls-like uh, players can put them projections of themselves i think i may turn that off Mm. eventually because boy there's just like there's just a player popping up all over the place Uh, (laughs) just waving or like doing a walk like an egyptian dance and you're just like okay this i think that dance is actually considered racist (laughs) but like there's there's a there's there's a distracting element to that that aside though um this is half-life alex like for the quest this is this is a moment this is i i i was very skeptical at how many hours i would be able to put into this game or or like because i'm skeptical of how many hours i could put into any game um i don't know that i'll ever beat it um, yeah supposedly but i know that i'll play plus hour campaign right yeah and and some folks are saying 60 to 90 wow um and and i am it is a nightmare for someone like me who has like the ocd completionist instinct this is why (laughs) like Baldur's gate will take me so long i spent four hours in the sewers it's like i see something and literally in the second chapter i don't know if you got got to this point jeff but but there's a point in the second chapter where you're like walking along in the desert and there's all these, like there's little things to climb off to the sides and distract you from the main mission. So you kind of go off and keep doing these, these things. And then you find like a hole, like below hip level in the ground uh, or like in a wall. And you're like, well, I can't, there's no duck mechanic in this. This isn't a stealth game, but what happens if I press the dash button and you just like slip slide into the hole and come out the other side into an enemy base. And you're like, what, what, <laughs> Which is, awesome. that was awesome. Can I just slip back and forth through this hole? Cause every mechanic is so tuned. Um, I think, you know, this is a, this is a game that, that uh, I think, you know, I, I'll want my team. And I think all teams uh, working in VR should be studying um, because it represents much like a Zelda game or a Mario game represents um, a sort of massive investment from first party to demonstrate everything that their hardware can do in a best case scenario. Um, this is a, I, I have no idea what, what Meta spent on it. And full disclosure, like, you know, I work at a company that produces 
awesome VR games. And so obviously I, I work with meta um, on things. So, you know, call me a shell. Um, but, and I did get a code provided uh, with my quest three, but um, I love this game. This, this game does demonstrate, you know, what the hardware is capable of um, are the textures uh, where they were at. I think Jeff, you and I were the two people who played, Asgard's Wrath one. I don't <laughs> right, know any, right. many, many else yeah. who even had the 250 gigabytes on their hard drive <laughs> that were required to download and install the game. Um, but, but so it does it, you know, does it look as, as high fidelity as, as Asgard's one or as Alex? No, but you're not playing it on a beefy G. You're not tethered. Um, yeah. It's, it's fully yeah. in the headset. Yeah. Yes. And they give you in lieu of that fidelity, they give you so much yes. to look at so that you might have a point where you're like, that's kind of a low rest texture or like, no, I see a seam in that texture there. Wow. Look at that giant thing. Yeah. And another giant thing. Whoa. There's, there's special effects everywhere. Lightning. Whoa. Clouds yeah. like astral projections. Like it's, it's stunning. It's deep. Uh, the combat is, is really fun. Um, uh, I think throwing and, and retrieving your, your weapon much like in a God of war uh, or a Mjolnir type yeah. type mechanic where you cast your hand forward and then you flick it back to, to retrieve it. Um, you can also use that to retrieve items, uh, which is something I was delighted to find out like, Oh, I can throw it and I can grab that health vial and I don't have to go down there. Um, there's just so, there's so much in this game. Um, the fact that you can come out of your body and come into your God form yeah. and see your tiny mortal body and then move things around the environment and then go back in your mortal body and, and navigate through that environment. It is fantastic. It is, it is a birthday present. <laughs> of the game. Yes. I'll say that. Thank I, you, Meta, for making that for me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just going to reiterate everything you just said because I you hit on some of the exact things I wanted to bring up which is like I want I hope game developers play Asgard's Wrath 2 because I think it show it, it's the future it to me is what the future is capable of right it is as you said every interaction every little mechanic is so perfectly tuned and it feels good to do everything in the game the dash feels good the the fighting feels good throwing stuff feels good climbing things feels good moving throughout exploration feels good like all of it it just feels awesome to be doing it there were a couple of moments of like this is the dream i had about being inside a video game i'm inside zelda yeah. right now i'm inside yeah. that experience i'm doing the stuff and you know, rooms with enormous traps and I have to jump. There's like, there's wall running in this game in VR. It's, and it feels awesome. It's so cool. Um, and I, it's like, so much better than the first one. Yes, it's, it's so like, much it's better like, than it's, the first one. Right? Such an example of a team like taking the notes, like yes. looking at what they did and then saying like, we can do everything better. Everything can be better. 100% agree. I really appreciated that first game, its ambition, what they were trying to accomplish, but some of the things kind of didn't didn't feel great and it didn't work all the yeah. time and I was kind of struggling with things. And this game it just everything is tuned. Everything feels good and like you said the world is vast and interesting and you're in these huge environments and they use scale in a really cool way. I mean, even the 
the first when it's like, hey, do you want to hear about what happened in the first game? The way they convey that story, you climb on this giant raven and you're flying through the story as it's happening all around. It's just like so thrilling and awesome. And, you know, the game is big and deep and there's tons of stuff to find and do. And the story, dude, there's a sequence right at the beginning where it's just a cut scene. You're just watching this character like be Indiana Jones for a minute. Yes. And you're behind him. And I'm like, this is why we need third person. I want to play God of War as God of War, but just in a headset. Like, just make a third person action game like this. It's amazing. Um, Yeah, Asgard's Wrath, like I said, I've only played two hours, but I'm blown away so far. Uh, it, 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 you know, you can, you can just, put your headset in a backpack and go somewhere and you get this experience. You don't have to have a computer at all to play this. And it still looks great. It feels like this huge, interesting experience. It's super fun. Ah, man, I am all over this game. It is, uh, and, and it's a packing. It's basically a packing game, right? Basically a packing. Yeah. If you buy it, it's super Mario world. Yes. Right. If you buy quest three, you get this. That's it. Yeah. You you get it for buying a Quest Three, so it, it really is that you know Super Mario World or uh, you know it, it is the it is the proof of what this hardware can do, and I think on that level too, it's just a triumph. Um, yeah, and if you don't have a Quest Three, if you have a Quest Two, and I know there's like millions and millions of people out there with Quest Twos, yeah, uh, like is this worth a sixty dollar purchase? Absolutely, like uh, it. it you know, it plays, uh, from what I've reports I've heard, it plays very well on Quest 2. It, there are no, uh, they have not made Quest 3 specific enhancements aside from like the refresh rate. Uh, but the, you know, there's a, so there's a solid frame rate. You get all the same graphics just at Quest 2 resolution. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's worth playing whether you have Quest 2 or Quest 3. It is a beautiful showcase for Quest 3. And I imagine, you know, if they patch it later, like right now we have a, you know, this is a shameless plug, but you know, January 16th, we're, we're patching walking dead saints and sinners, the, the original game for quest three. So we'll have all these, you know, enhanced dynamic shadows and uh, uh, higher, higher detailed uh, character models and stuff like that. Um, I think, I think we're going to see a patch like that eventually for for asgard's wrath 2 so it, it's only gonna get better which is like god don't make it better it's already <laughs> too good uh, but like this is a game the first game you could hit like you said there were some really hard edges you could hit a wall yeah you'd find a really obtuse puzzle you'd find a mechanic that didn't quite work this game has no walls it will keep on there is something for you to slip into at every turn you will you can't get bored and it the best endorsement I can give it is to say I ordered a comfort strap for my, my quest three. And when I looked at the options and it was like, do you want the extra battery pack? And I was like, I'll never need an extra battery pack. <laughs> like I'll just plug it in and come back later. This game made me wish I had that extra battery pack because when it died the second time last night, I was like, no, no, I, I want to keep going. Like, <laughs> Like, and I thought about getting a battery and plugging it in and doing the Apple Vision Pro thing and like wearing it on my hip. It's <laughs> it's that good. It's, it's that good. It's, Asgard's yeah. Wrath 2, I'm telling you. I mean, if you're thinking about getting a Quest 3 this holiday season, this is reason enough. And aside from all the other games, you know, the Walking Dead, Saints and Center, all the other games that we've been talking about, 
it's this is it's it is a system seller. It is that Half Life Two yeah. Alex level of like, oh, this is what's possible. Um, yeah, yeah. Gameplay, I think as I'll go out on a limb, it's it's pretty close to as good as as God of War. <laughs> like, yeah, it is. It is like if you if you're like, I wish I could just be in first person at God of War, you can, and it's called Asgard's Wrath Two. It's like, it's really funny how that DLC came out the same week that this game comes out because you know it, it really invites that comparison. I mean, you're you're throwing your axe and you're pulling it back, you're doing all those Kratosy things and more, you know. Uh, and, and in inside it, you are inside it. It's all around you. It's so Play, cool. playing those games in the same few days. I had a dream last night that was like this weird combination of Asgard's Wrath 2 and Ragnarok Valhalla. And it was, <laughs> and I'm like throwing my shield and then I'm slicing an enemy in half and I'm having these moments. And then there was one moment where like, I couldn't get my shield back and I was angry. So I got my ax out. Like I, yeah, it's, it's, it inspires great dreams. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. awesome. Inspires great dreams. Put that on the box. Um, all right, folks, that's going to do it for this our final regular episode of 2023 uh, next week is our game of D- DLC's favorite game of the year episode. And the week after that will be our annual uh, taking a, a, a term from comics that we've often used uh, where Christian and I will be, uh, will be reminiscing about uh, our 10 years of doing the show. It'll be a decade in the bag uh, for wow. uh, for DLC starting our 11th year with that episode. And um, our friend Lana Bashinsky is going to join us. So it'll be a really good time. We'll do our predictions. We'll do our reckoning for the previous year. So lots of good stuff to look forward to in the next two episodes. But this is our final episode and couldn't ask for a better guest to be here with us. Thank you, Sean Kittleson, oh, for being with us. And happy birthday. Hey, thanks. And, and happy day of life celebration to DLC <laughs> when you come up on your 10 year, because that's a pretty big milestone too. Thank right? you. Really appreciate that. Uh, tell folks where they can keep up with you and all the cool stuff you do online. Oh boy. Um, I'm at Skittles, S-K-I-T-T-E-L-S on, uh, on Instagram. Uh, I'm not on that other platform that we no longer name. <laughs> Uh, and I'm on, uh, TikTok. Uh, I think I'm at humble wordsmith on TikTok, although I don't post very often. I usually am posting a trailer for, for my book, heart attack, which you should run out and buy uh, heart attack, the complete graphic novel, uh, 300 pages, uh, heart and soul it took me 10 years to get published, uh, and shooting, uh, in Japan as a live action Japanese television series, uh, in 2024. Amazing. Uh, from- Fuji TV and Skybound. Congratulations. So That's fantastic. That. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I That's had not known awesome. about that. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely check out check out Heart Attack by me and Eric Savatsky and uh and check out Walking Dead Saints and Sinners from Skydance Interactive, uh, with the Quest 3 enhancements coming uh January 16th. Very exciting. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? I have a newsletter. It's called Let's Chat Games. It is now on Substack. So if you, uh, I think I've migrated everybody over from Tiny Letter, which is closing. But if it maybe ended up in your spam or something like that, you can look for it there. It is, uh, you can find it at christianspicer.substack.com. New one coming out very soon, if not already out by the time you're listening to this. It's a conversational, long-form writing about video games. And then this show you can find on threads and Instagram as DLC hype train. I am also on threads and Instagram as Christian underscore 
Spicer. I'll just give you a couple of things. Um, Obviously, you can follow me on uh, socials at Jeff Kanata. Um, If you're looking for last-minute holiday gifts, I have two suggestions for you. I built an Amazon storefront, the URL of which I said wrong last week. Uh, I said it was Amazon.com slash store. It's not. It's Amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Kanata. Amazon.com slash shop slash Jeff Kanata. Uh, stuff that I've curated, things that I really care about. I actually took a lot of time and uh, effort to put together a list that worked for me, my family, my kids, uh, all kinds of different categories there. Uh, good good way to get some last-minute gift ideas. Uh, another last-minute gift idea you may want to consider is uh, giving your loved one a limerick. It's the gift that keeps on giving for at least five lines. Uh, I write limericks on cameo.com. Um, people will enjoy them. You can check out over 150 five-star reviews there. Uh, cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, uh, personalized message, uh, bespoke written just for you to your specifications. It's fun. Uh, all right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is parting gift. Sean, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, uh, this is a, a kind of probably maybe a weird one sounding, but uh, if if you've never heard of Blind Boy Boat Club, uh, which sounds you know, super weird, uh, Blind Boy Boat Club uh, is an Irish podcaster and writer, uh, also formerly a musician with a, a Irish uh, satire band called the Rubber Bandits. They had a hit called Horse Outside in 2011. Um, he wears a bag on his face uh, to obscure his identity as as part of his act. Um, but, uh, he's as a podcaster, um, this is an awesome show. I, I definitely urge folks to check it out. He covers a, a wide variety of topics, uh, a deeply humanist, uh, uh, take on things. Um, you know, a lot of Irish perspectives. So if, if you're a person with Irish heritage, I think you'll really dig it. But even if you're not Irish, if you're just interested in, you know, uh, mental health and wellness and, and mythology, and you're, you're kind of eclectic, um, really thoughtful hour uh in every podcast uh all kinds of things from meditations on um dandelions <laughs> um uh comparing greek mythology to simulation theory and the rise of ai uh or the colonial history of pumpkin spice lattes um <laughs> it, like absolutely and then in then you know some some weeks instead of uh instead of a monologue um uh you know he'll have interviews with folks like naomi klein um, uh, Patrick McCabe, uh, just a really, really eclectic podcast, but, but brilliant stuff. Uh, and goes, you know, some serious topics too, like uh, psycho- psychological impact of poverty with uh, Dr. Cochino Sullivan. Um, and <laughs> one of my favorite ones for this year was Barbie and Mattel as millennial Pavlovian conditioning. Um, <laughs> so just really brilliant wow. stuff. And then he's a writer of short stories and has uh, two collections out and a third one coming to the States. It's already out in Europe. Uh, the first one is uh, gospel according to blind boy. Uh, the second one is uh, Boulevard rent and other stories. And then the new one coming up is topographia hibernica. Um, if you like a uh, raunchy, um, uh, but, but really thoughtful storytelling with uh, just absolutely beautiful prose that, uh, you know, not too florid, but also incredibly uh, eloquent, um, uh, and a brilliant writer uh, in, in the Irish lit tradition and uh, Blind Boy Boat Club. Can't recommend his work enough. Fantastic. Wow. Great recommendation. Christian Spicer, what's your parting gift? 
Quick and easy, Taylor Swift Eras Tour is now available to rent. Rent it for you and watch it and enjoy it, but I'm giving you this parting gift now so you can think about it during the holidays. Put this on instead of football or whatever else you might have going. Everyone will love it. It's beautiful. Everyone will know a song from it. It's a perfect holiday. You got family over, background thing on TV that's over three hours long. Surefire hit, the production quality through the roof. Uh, apparently Taylor doesn't miss. Who knew? Who knew? Taylor Swift gonna be something someday. Um, it's can, great. Can you put it on while you watch Travis Kelsey play football? Is that like the <laughs> that's ultimate a, that's like multi synergy? Is what that is? Yeah. <laughs> you watch the one on your MetaQuest three with pass through mode to the other. Oh that my god! How you do it. Perfection. Yeah. That would be great. Mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> Um, I'm going to give you uh, a recommendation for a movie to check out this holiday season. I got a, an early, uh, early screening for Wonka, which I think actually comes out this week. Anyway, uh, no one was more skeptical than I, that they could actually make a Wonka sequel that wasn't terrible because we have evidence of the terrible one, uh, the Johnny Depp one, very bad. (laughs) Uh, and you know, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is in my opinion, a near perfect film. Uh, so why would you even want to mess with that? Well, guess what? It turns out if you if you put the folks that put that made the Paddington movies on this this job, they can actually do it. This Wonka movie is delightful. It is so wonderful. Great songs, great performances. Olivia Coleman is just amazing in this movie. I couldn't believe it that they did. They made a prequel to Willy Wonka. That wasn't terrible and, in fact, is fantastic. I know. I know. I I doubted it, too. But check out this movie. I think you'll love it. It's colorful. It's vibrant. It's fun. It's charming. It's wholesome. I took my seven-year-old to see it with me. We loved it. You know, I remember seeing Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent and thinking it was just a joke when they said Paddington 2 is the greatest movie ever made. And then I sat crying through Paddington 2. Oh, those <laughs> Paddington like, this is the best. So like, great. They're so, so, so great. Good. And this this team yeah. brought that charm, that wholesome sort of uh, heart on its sleeve nature to Wonka, and it's just great. Um, You've now successfully sold me on an Avatar game I didn't want to buy and a Wonka movie I didn't want to see, Jeff. Sounds so like my you, job here is done. Um, done. <laughs> we got a listener-suggested parting gift. This comes from Rob from Chelmsford in the UK. Uh, Rob says, having uh, received recommendations for both Pandemic and Betrayal Legacy on this very show, both uh, legacy-style board games, uh, I had to return the favor and let you know about the latest entry in the genre. This Time-based, oh, excuse me, (laughs) this time based on the classic gateway game, which pretty much explodes the premise into a Disney theme park of surprises. Ticket to Ride Legacy, Legends of the West, expands upon its namesake in just about every way possible. I shall spare the details so as not to spoil the surprise, but essentially players begin in the northeast corner of the United States and upon subsequent games expand the map across another eight regions comprising the remaining states, each with their own unique themes and mechanics. Systems emerge and fade away as players progress so as not to overcomplicate the game while side quests are obtained from completing certain routes that can influence which parts of the country you might decide to lay track in. All the while, the essential and classic gameplay of Ticket to Ride remains. At the time of writing, my group is only two-thirds of the way through after playing for a good 12 hours, so I can't speak for how replayable this entry in a notoriously unreplayable genre may be, but so far, it's looking like, at the very least, we're going to end up with a jumbo-sized version of a Ticket to Ride 
to play in perpetuity. I hope you get the chance to experience this, even if I know for a fact it will make Jeff's head explode. <laughs> Apologies in advance. Davio has done it again. Uh, that's a reference to Rob Davio, who invented the legacy format of a board game that evolves over time as you play it. Uh, and Ticket to Ride, I think, is is in the pantheon of greatest games of all time. The idea of a legacy version of Ticket to Ride just sounds uh, delightful. So thanks, Rob, for confirming that it is, in fact, wonderful and uh, well worth people's time. Might be a great uh, holiday experience as well to gather your family around and play Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. If you'd like to have your parting gift read on our show, send it to us. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. We love getting them. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Sean Kittleson and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those awesome bumpers, including Sean Madigan's amazing E3 hype train bumper, which rest in peace. Uh, we also have to thank uh, Jesse J. Anderson, who created the DLCSwag.com website, where you can get swag for our show. And our theme song, which was composed by White Cube, uh, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Our biggest thanks, though, are reserved for our patrons who make the show possible. Thank you, patrons, for doing that. Thank you for supporting us and caring about what we make. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash dlcpod. Our top-tier patrons, our hype-trained patrons, get their own video game. That's right. It's time to talk about some games that many people might not remember, but there's one I certainly remember. This might be my favorite game of the last 30 years, Christian. It's a game, game underappreciated. Baby! <laughs> what game? It is a, a game called Spice Man Silencer. And. Oh, no! You know, pe- so, so many people praise the Hitman franchise, you know? I don't uh, think so! I don't think- <laughs> so many people love. And, and we among them. We are. One out of 10! <laughs> One out of 10! Uh, I just loved how you could pick any weapon and you just slowly turn the silencer, twist the silencer, screw it onto the front of the weapon, walk right up to the person that sounds like this. You just got to find them in the world by listening. (laughs) It's a a game that pioneered proximity audio (laughs) in that no matter where you were, were in the game world, you could hear that. Whispering you a secret right now. I can't talk out of this. You just took your silenced weapon and uh, you you murdered the Spice Man. (laughs) It was a great game. I honestly, it's a game that I really think needs a new installment these days. It needs a (laughs) we need a remaster, a remake, uh, a sequel, a prequel. I don't care. Bring it back. Bring that franchise back is what I say. I'll say it was an audio tour de force. I mean, we talk about sound design and, you know, God of War and the Naughty Dog games and Spider-Man and even the Forza games and how awesome that is. But Spice-Man Silencer, I loved the way the re- as you got closer and closer to your target, the rest of the audio would fall out, you know, it'd like yeah. duck. <laughs> yes. And, and sometimes, I don't know if this was by design or not, but sometimes like the character you're trying to hit would like, I think hit such a high note that it, you wouldn't even hear them. Like the game, the mic in the game when they recorded just clearly like <laughs> just didn't pick it right up. Out. Or, yeah. Yeah. The auto leveling threshold they had for it made it 
so you couldn't even hear it. Do you remember comma, the baby? You remember the Dreamcast version where uh, <laughs> the microphone on the Dreamcast controller would start it's like ah, I would just start screaming <laughs> at you, and you're like, "Wow, man, right here in my hands." Did the you ever BMU? play? Did you ever play the land version where one person would, you know, cause like Dreamcast did internet first. I remember like they had the little mic attachment that you would use to talk to your seamen and you could use that in the Spice Man silencer. So I remember I played with my friend in the neighborhood and he was, he'd be like sitting there in his house just going like, come on, baby, come on, where are you? And I'd have to go find him. It was mm. wild. It was yeah, one wild. Played, one played the Spice Man and the other played uh-huh. the Spice Man silencer. And usually I never got to them by the time their parent got to them and hit them and told them to shut up, uh, quit doing that voice. Um, yeah, it was like so that game evolve where one person was a monster and everybody else was a monster hunter. It's kind of like that, you know, asymmetrical yeah, I think, multiplayer. I think Mark from marketing shut down, uh, the evolve version of spice men silencers, like <laughs> reports of just torn up throats, um, yeah. annoyed neighbors and loved ones. I, I, I mean, personally, I think it was a, it was a, I love, I love it. And every time I had to take out the Spice Man, it broke my heart. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's others of us who played it and it just felt like sweet relief when you take out the, the Spice Man, you know, just felt hey. like, you know what? I've never seen the game over screen look so sweet. Best song in Star Wars Jedi Survivor. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm, Spice mm-hmm. Man is the best, the best song. Spice Man Silencer. Great game. I'd give it a 10. Um, <laughs> yeah, the microphone cut out uh, mercifully <laughs> right there. <laughs> I need no to change will... my clipping settings just so I can make sure my comedic voice is heard by all. <laughs> all we heard was, out of 10. I was like, okay, yeah. Perfect. Uh, that's not the only game, though, that we need to talk about this week because uh, there's another blast from the past. Do you remember uh, Soren Silk? Look, I think I don't know if you're trying to be funny by calling this a blast from the past or not, but I am still waiting for Soren Silk to come out. I remember when the, they showed the trailer for it, and I was so hyped. I was like, "Finally, we're gonna get oh that Silk song. That's a different game. Sorry, that's a different. Um, yeah, you're confusing. Different. No, Soren yeah, Silk was the game. Uh, it was kind of like Journey, you know, uh, with the flowing scarf, and it was just a, all about getting in the flow. And you would fly on the on gusts of wind. <laughs> you know, you're a piece of. Uh, a fabric just floating. Oh, maybe it was like flower, you know, like flower. We were just soaring. It was more Zen than game, oh, but it was beautiful. It was wonderful. The graphics were amazing. The, the fabric physics was just off the charts. I do. I do remember that like at the end of each level, cause like your little character was kind of attached to this, you know, like the, the scarf or whatever it was that was floating through. And I always remember like you finish each level and you'd land back in your apartment and the character would like take the scarf off and just go like, I'm sore. And I always thought that was a little on the nose, but, um, you know, I, cause like being dragged around by this scarf or I forget it was cotton. I forget the exact fabric that it was made out of, um, flannel, denim, whatever that scarf was made out of. Uh-huh. Um, the there's no like, way to know what, what material it used. Yeah. No, I, I mean, the graphics were good, but I couldn't, I wasn't playing in 4k, maybe they, in a remaster, I could see if it's like, I don't know. Just fluttering and flopping in the wind. It was so serene. It was such a special, special, special game, Soren Silk. Uh, And then when the old man lands in his apartment after every level, I'm sore. Um, (laughs) I don't think I ever got to that ending. I think that was a 
a special ending that you got to. I never, I never achieved that ending. Oh, that was the ending that when I played with my older brother, and he would say that I'm my controllers plugged into the back of the console. I never, I never quite figured out why I wasn't in control. But yeah, man, I had fun. <laughs> I, uh, I appreciated the. Uh, uh, the entire Soren Textiles franchise, you know, <laughs> Soren Silk, Soren Cotton, Soren Mylar. They were all really good games. And even like the big version they did, um, Soren over California at Disneyland is <laughs> uh-huh. incredible. Uh-huh. It's really good. They add like in the sense that you smell as you go over places too. I don't, um, I think you're confused. I think you're conflating two separate franchises, Christian, because <laughs> that just, I- <laughs> Look, all I'm saying is that I'm sore, you know? So, um, yeah. Well, we're not sore at all of our patrons for supporting us, especially our hype train patrons. Thank you. If you'd like to become one and have your own video game uh, loosely based on the syllables of your name, (laughs) you can become one at patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.